as I've often said, my greatest fear is that this little microphone will somehow turn on while I'm still in my seat. I cannot sing at all. So that's like my greatest fear. So thank you guys. Um, we had a great morning this morning at Norwood Alliance Church. Who was here and thought it was a wonderful morning? Our kids? It was awesome. Thank you for the amen. Yeah. Um, two of them are here, Laura and Ben, who came out tonight. It was a great morning. I had just a wonderful time. God blessed me with youth leaders and youth, and His Holy Spirit was present, and I was on cloud nine on the top of the world. Then my youth group said to me, uh, Shelly, we want to go to your favorite restaurant for lunch with you. Wendy's. I mean, what more could I have asked for? So we all went to Wendy's together. Things were going really well. I felt on top of the world when all of a sudden I was sitting across from Brio's three-year-old, Taya. Taya and I are buddies. Uh, everything was going right with the world when Taya leaned forward and said, Miss Shelley, what's that boo-boo on your chin? <laughs> I said, it's a pimple, Taya. <laughs> Add that to my age spot over here on the left. Um, kids are funny, aren't they? So I am excited to be with you tonight. I've been very excited about this message for a couple of weeks because God really stirred my heart with it. I don't know how many of you have been a Christian for a long time, but I've been a Christian since I was yo big. When I was little, we used to sing songs to accompany Jesus' words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Did anybody ever sing that song when they were little? Didn't you have to, like, do weird motions and pretend you were a vine? Yeah, 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 right. Okay, yeah, see. I try to put songs out of my mind because I can't sing, but it was a fun little song, and growing up, I knew those words, and when I taught in a Christian school for 15 years, I would teach through the life of Christ, and we would go over his I am statements. Now, I'd always read, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and I thought, that's really nice, you know, that's good, I get my strength, get my energy from him, but it never really touched the core of me the way it was supposed to until I started studying for this message. And um, sometimes very familiar passages of Scripture you don't even want to speak on because they're so familiar to you. You're like, okay, he's the vine, we're the branches. And God really showed me that this is deep and it is wonderful. And it has literally changed my life in the past few weeks. So what we're going to do is we're eventually going to go to John chapter 15 beginning at verse 1. If you want to get that marked in your Bible, John 15, we're going to start at verse 1. And we're going to read where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. But before we go there, we're going to do something that a lot of people come to me after I speak and say this to me. Shelley, one of the things I love about your messages is you tie together the Old and New Testaments. And how many of you know that's very, very important? Because this library of 66 books is one unit. Amen? God is as much the author of Genesis as he is the author of Revelation. And one blessing to my heart is to see the tie between the two Testaments. The New Testament is built on the Old Testament. It's as important as the New Testament. So we're going to go back into the Old Testament to shed light on exactly why Jesus said... I am the vine, okay? And we're going to start by going to, well, first of all, before we even start, I forgot that I'm going to introduce you to this concept. Uh, people have been talking to me the past week. Maybe they text me. Maybe it's on email or Facebook. What are you up to, Shelley? I'm studying viticulture. Anybody know what that is? Karen. Karen, my fellow nerd. What is it? The cultivation and growing of grapes. Anybody ever studied that before? No. Okay, so this will be exciting. Listen, grape growing and wine production has been, since the days of Noah, one of the greatest things that goes on in the land of Palestine or Israel. It's been going on there forever. The land is very fertile for it. Uh, the hilliness of it. And, and just the way the whole thing is set out is very good for grape growing. And so all throughout the Bible, you'll hear talk of the grapevine and of, and of wine. And still to this day, this is actually a vineyard over in Israel today. It is a big, big industry. 
And I studied a lot about grapevines because I wondered exactly what Jesus was trying to say when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Context is very important, right? I mean, I don't live over in Israel, so I needed to study this and understand it. And I've certainly never been into winemaking. So I needed to know what is the deal here. And I found out that throughout history, vineyards, here's another vineyard over there in Israel, Vineyards were taken very seriously because wine and bread were two staples of the people of Israel. And um, what they would do is they would often build a wall around the vineyard to protect it. They would build a watchtower in the middle of the vineyard so that as the harvest was about to come in, the family could be in the watchtower and watch out for two things. Number one, thieves who would try to steal the valuable grapes. And number two, wild animals that would like to go in there when they were thirsty and get a drink. So they would build a watchtower. They would have a a fence built around it. And the people who worked in the vineyard worked very, very diligently to get the grapes at just the right time, to put them in the wine press, to literally step on them, and to squeeze out that juice that would go into a fermenting kind of well that would be hewn out of rock. And that's where they would get their wine from. And still to this day, grapes are cultivated over in Israel. So this was a very major part of life. So when Jesus opens up and says, I am the true vine, the people back in that day knew what he was speaking of. Okay, so that's important to understand, and that's a picture of what the watchtower might have been like in the middle as as the harvest was coming to be. So let's go back into the Old Testament to Psalm chapter 80, and if you have your Bibles, you know that I like you to turn in your actual Bible, even though it's up on the PowerPoint. Does anybody know why? Why do I like you to turn in your Bible? Because I like to hear the pages of Bibles turn. Isn't that a cool sound when everybody does it at once? Okay, so Psalm chapter 80, and look, when I put my reading glasses on with this microphone, they're crooked. Bria, you love that, don't you? You make fun of me when my glasses are crooked. Okay, Psalm chapter 80. All right, the psalmist in Psalm chapter 80 uses a vine as a metaphor for God's people. So this is God speaking And he is actually going to call the nation of Israel, his chosen people, a vine. Check it out beginning in verse 8. God, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Who can tell me what that's referring to right there? Yes. What did you say? Yes. He brought them out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, remember? And through the plagues, God miraculously delivered his people out of Egypt and sent them to the... Canaan land. Okay, so here he uses a metaphor. He says, my people were a vine. I brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and it filled the land. Now the mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? Now notice the walls there because as I told you, vineyards would have walls around them. So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. So that's the stealing of the fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine the stalk that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. Now, as you look at that passage, you see that God is calling his people a vineyard, right? But what happens to the vineyard? Does things go well or do things go bad? Things go badly. The walls get broken down. Things go south. And we see at the end that the Israelites are calling out to God and saying, Turn again, O God, look down from heaven, and please have pity on this vine, because you planted it yourself. It's a mess now, but you are the one who planted it. Would you please do something about it? So we have God's people being called a vineyard, And the fruit has gone bad. Now, one thing that you don't want to happen is if you don't take care of a vineyard, the grapes go wild. 
And when you read the word wild grapes in the Hebrew, out of the Hebrew, we read it in our Bible as wild grapes, it literally means sour or bad for eating, okay? So this vineyard has gone bad. Now we're going to turn to another place in the Old Testament. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. And by the way, if anybody following the message wants a copy of the PowerPoint so that you can follow these scriptures at home, I will definitely give that to you if you get in touch with me and we can email about it. Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. Here's what he says about his people. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. Go down to verse 26. As a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets, who say to a tree... You are my father, and to a stone you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they say, Arise and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you. In your time of trouble, for as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah, why do you contend with me? You have all transgressed against me declares the Lord. Now go back up to verse 21. God planted this vine how? When he originally planted it, it was, what's it say? What are some of the words it uses? Choice. And it was of what kind of seed? Pure seed. This thing had all the potential to be a wonderful vine that produced great fruit and great tasting wine. But God in the very next verse tells us that the vine became what? It degenerated. Now, it goes on to explain in what way it degenerated in verse 26. So take a look at verse 26. We're doing a little Bible study here tonight. Up around verses 26, 27. What was the specific sin of God's people that made their vine go sour? What did they do? They called on false gods. You said to a tree, you said to a rock, you save us. You are our father. Do for us what God should really be doing. They called on false gods. And when they got into trouble, they went back to the true God and said, oh, help us now. We've lived our life for someone or something else, but now we want you to help us. And God says, well, where are the gods that you made for yourself? If they're so great and worthy of your worship, where are they now? Amen? But I want you, what I want to sink into your mind is in Psalm chapter 80... God planted his people as a vineyard. They could have been right, but they weren't. Their grapes went sour. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 2, he planted his vine purely, and it was a choice vine. But because of the sin of idolatry, it went degenerate, and the fruit was rotten. Are you with me? Now, I want you to think, because when we read the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what did it mean in that day, which I've just explained to you, And then we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to me now? What is God trying to say to me now? Well, how many of you, if you'd be honest, and you don't have to raise your hand, are sitting in here like me, and at the end of any given day, you lay your head down on your pillow, and you could nearly or literally be in tears and think to yourself, today was not what it should have been. I did not live for God the way he wanted me to today. I lived for other things other than the true God. Would anybody at least shake their head or raise their pinky and say, Shelly, I'm with you? How many moments and days of regret do I as a mature Christian have when I lay my head on the pillow at night and I think to myself, Shelly, you served fear more than you served God today. You served selfishness more than you served God today. You served jealousy more than you served God today. You served the pursuit of career more than you served God today. Are you with me? And because of that sin, 
we who were meant to be a vineyard and bear sweet fruit end up bearing fruit that is sour and rotten. And when I think of the lives that have been negatively impacted by my sin, it hurts me. Amen? And it should hurt us. Because we are God's chosen people. And we are meant to be the vineyard that he planted. But because of idolatry, putting other loves, other things, other people, other pursuits ahead of him in the dailiness of life, the grape goes sour. We're going to turn now to Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It amazed me how many places the vineyard is talked about in the Old Testament. This metaphor runs throughout your Bible. Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false, now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Here's the key in the second half of verse 1. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Then the next thing you know, their heart turns false. Do you see what the cause of the rotten fruit was in this case in the vineyard? What would you say if you had to say it in one word? Prosperity. You with me? Their country improved. They built bigger places with more pillars. God began to prosper them as he planted them and wanted them to prosper. But they let their prosperity become more important to them than God. And the fruit went sour. Now, I personally, in traveling around and speaking for God, in reading and studying incessantly about our culture and the Christian faith, I personally believe that we are in Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And I don't care if you live in a a little house like mine that only has one bathroom. I don't care if you drive, you know, a 15-year-old car. I don't care if you only have one TV in your house. If you are considered not rich here in the United States, you are still what? Very prosperous. We are very prosperous compared to what could be. And we let a stinking television set ruin our fruit. Mm -hmm. We watch Dancing with the Stars, reruns of Andy Griffith for me, NCIS, all these different shows, we're addicted to media. We are wasting our lives away where we should be investing in relationships, reading and studying the Word of God, down on our knees seeking His face, amen, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have too much prosperity. We live in huge houses with a myriad of bathrooms. We own two and three and four cars. We own, we have swimming pools in our backyard. We own horses. We've got all kinds of land. We've got all these wonderful things. And all they do is pull our hearts away from God. You with me? Takes a very strong person, Jesus said, for a rich man to do what he ought to do. And every one of us in this sanctuary tonight is rich. So in this case, in the first case, we have idolatry pulled people away from God. Now we have prosperity causes the fruit to go rotten. And I just want to say something. That's a sad situation when wonderful tasting grapes should have come off that vine and produced a beautiful wine. And all we get is something sour. In America today... That's what we're getting. And the world is watching. Ezekiel chapter 15. Let's turn there. Ezekiel 15 verses 1 to 8. Another place where the vineyard is spoken of. We have idolatry. We have prosperity ruining the fruit. And now in Ezekiel chapter 15. Now this is interesting. And let me just say first of all. 
that when it comes to the wood of a grapevine, the wood of a grapevine is very, very soft. It's not like tree bark that could be used for other things. You can take cedar, you can take maple, and you can do other productive things with the bark. You can't do that with a grapevine bark because it is very, very soft. So in Ezekiel 15, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to even hang their, you know, our modern day translation, hang their hat on it? You can't even take grapevine wood and make a peg to hang your hat on it. Okay? He says, behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred, can it ever be used for anything? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume And you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they have acted, what does your version say? Faithlessly, says the Lord. Again, the metaphor of the vine, the vineyard, God's people. His response to their faithlessness is this. You will be burned in the fire. You are useless. You are good for nothing. Now, in the New Testament, Paul, in the book of Corinthians, talks about people who at the end of their life stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They are saved. They are going to heaven. But the Bible says that they just go by the skin of their teeth. They will be saved, but all of their works will be burned up because they were essentially useless for the kingdom of God following their salvation. Can you imagine Standing before Jesus and saying, thank you for bringing me here, but I've done nothing for your kingdom. God is saying it's going to be burned up because you have been faithless. I was faithful to you. I gave you everything you needed. I planted you a choice vine and you turned your back on me and wasted your life on other things and other people. Let's follow this up. The last Old Testament scripture we're going to go to, and in my opinion, one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now, this is a very famous scripture about a vineyard. God actually, as Sean Daniels and I with the skit this morning were trying to get into our heads, the Bible is written by the God of reality and the God of history. And this is a beautiful passage of scripture about a vineyard as it actually describes the care for a vineyard. But God uses it again as a metaphor for his people. So Isaiah says, let me sing for my beloved, and that's God. Isaiah says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. Now you and me, we're the vineyard. It's God's chosen people, all right? Let me sing a love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. Somebody should write a song about this. I just see this in such poetic form. And then this stark, heartbreaking verse. Listen to this. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. In other words, he picked a choice place to plant this vineyard. He he picked it out himself. He knew and he cared. He dug it. And he cleared it of stones. So he did all the labor to dig out the place, to pick the right choice land. He cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. Then he went to the trouble of building a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it, which is what I was telling you about. They'd literally trample on the grapes and it would go into the wine vat. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded what kind of grapes? Wild or sour grapes. Now stay with me here. Don't read on yet and just picture this. This is a beautiful poem of God's love for you. He knew before, you know, back in eternity, he chose you, he picked you out. 
He found a place for you to exist, a family for you to be born into, a home for you to have. He, he made the place for you to be. He dug out your heart. He cleared it of stones. He planted his word into your heart. He made you a choice vine. And he got the wine vat ready for the beautiful fruit of this labor to come to be. And yet when he looked to it to yield the proper grapes, all it yielded was sour grapes. Useless. And now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Now watch this. When I first studied verse 4, I literally cried at my house was so convicted. This is what God says. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I haven't already done for it? But when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And I felt God saying to me, Shelley, what more could I possibly have done for you to give you everything you need to yield beautiful fruit? And yet when I look to you, the fruit stinks. I'm not saying that of my whole entire life, but how many of you have ever been there? Amen? It's me, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Our Lord, in poetic form, looks at us and says, What more could I have done for my people to enable them to serve me right and to have a life that is beautiful to other people. God meant for the fruit of our lives to be beautiful, to bless others. We were meant to grow into this grapevine, to provide shade for the nations, to be a place of safety for people to come to, a place of, of strength, a place of refuge. Amen? That our lives would be so strong in Jesus, so not wrapped up in ourselves, so not distracted, so centered on him that we're a pillar of strength, that the fruit is just beautiful and people want to come to your life and pick the grapes from your life and come to Jesus more and more because of you. Amen? And God says, what more could I have done? Verse 5, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I'll break down its wall and it will be trampled down. I'll make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they don't rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. When he looked for justice, he found bloodshed. When he looked for righteousness, he found an outcry. The fruit went south, and God said, I'll let you to yourself then. The walls will become broken down. Animals will come in and eat the fruit. It was a very sad and seemingly hopeless situation. Right? Now remember this statement. It's a rhetorical question, actually, that God asks here. I believe that Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4 is a direct relationship with John 15, verse 1. Remember what God said, what more could I have done for you that I didn't already do for my vineyard? And ringing through the annals of time from 700 B.C. when Isaiah penned those words down through the centuries, we move into the first century, and on the dusty trail comes this man named Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 15 now. Remember the question, what more could I have done for my vineyard? And, and I want you to, to ponder this, and I want you to think about something, because here's what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. There are people in the sanctuary tonight, you are frustrated with yourself. You know you are not where you should be with God. You know that your life is not producing the meaning and the fruit that it should be in Jesus, that it's wrapped up in a lot of mundane things, a lot of selfishness, a lot of spinning of your wheels, running the rat race, and the fruit is not what it should be. And I know because I've been there, and the Christian life can become something of drudgery, and it seems like we're working and trying to muster it up. We go to bed at night, what am I doing? 
okay? And we wonder, why is my vineyard not what it's supposed to be? Because God in Genesis, when he created Adam and Eve, he meant for his people to be the vineyard. He meant for us to bear right fruit. He never meant for us to turn our backs on him. Amen? But we did. And so ringing through the Old Testament is this metaphor that shows us something. Human beings can never, ever, 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 ever now produce their own fruit. Remember, every time you see the metaphor in the Bible, what do you say? Failure. And sometimes we look at our own lives, that's what we feel like. Shelley, I, I confessed Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord one time, months ago, years ago, decades ago, hopefully not centuries ago. But why does it feel like I'm spinning my wheels? Because you were never, ever, 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 ever meant to produce your own fruit. You will fail every time. You with me? Anything we try to do, if we try to look at God and say, okay, God, you saved me. You, you saved me from my sins X number of years ago at some point back in time. Now I'm struggling to live for you. If you're saying that in the sanctuary tonight, you're in a wrong mental place. Jesus didn't save you X number of years ago. He is saving you right now. And that's why Jesus came and said, you know what? Every time a human being attempts to produce fruit on their own, there's going to be sour grapes. You can't do it. He came along and he said, in answer to God's question, what more could I do for my vineyard? You know what the answer is? I can send Jesus Christ. And Jesus came in John chapter 15 and said some of the most beautiful poetic words ever to be spoken. He looked at you and me and he said this, I, Jesus, am the true vine. Quit trying to be the vine. You are the branches. Amen? You with me? I am the true vine. I'm not the human vine. I'm not the vine that had a grand failure. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now abide in me, and I in you. Who's ever heard those words before? Those words jump off at the page now for me. I don't take them for granted anymore. He said, I am the true vine. Now, Shelley, live in me as I live in you. You didn't get saved one day in the past, and now, Shelley Prindle, you do whatever you can to help build God's kingdom. Shelley, you try to stop sinning and try to stop doing what's right. I can't do that. My vineyard yields wild grapes. Jesus said, Shelley, what you've got to do is wrap yourself in me. Live in me. I am the true vine. Now abide in me and I will abide in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that is the person that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. It is a lie of Satan. He wants Christians to believe God saves you at some point in the past and then you work it out on your own. You are being saved every moment that you live. Amen? And I am supposed to be wrapped up in this loving, glowing, wonderful relationship with Jesus who will give me the nutrients from the vine out to the branch will come everything I need to do the right thing and to bear the right fruit. Are you with me? It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's kind of like this, you know. Um, 
You have to be clothed in Jesus. He has to make you a new creation. And then you've got to walk in that new creation that you are. You've got to keep talking to him and walking with him. I heard an analogy once. Um, think about it this way. A cat versus a pig. All right? No matter how much filth you put on a cat, and I know when we had a cat, she always got hairballs. She had to put the Vaseline on her paws. No matter what you put on a cat, what's the cat going to do? Try to what? Lick it off. Never saw a muscle as strong as the tongue of a cat. All right? You put anything on a cat, it'll lick till kingdom come. It'll lick till it's dead to get that stuff off of it because a cat wants to be what? Clean. You take a pig and you try to clean up a pig and put him somewhere else in the barnyard and where does he want to go? Wants to go back to the mud because a pig by nature wants to be muddy. Are you with me? You've got to be changed by nature. So first of all, you allow God to make you into a new creation, 1 Corinthians 5.17. But then once you are that new creation, Jesus gives you what you need to keep being clean. And if you don't continue to be clean, you are not living in him. You are not truly trusting in him for an everyday, moment-by-moment experience. You are living religiously instead of Jesusly. You with me? We need to trust him second by second to give us the strength to do what he wants us to do. Now look at verse 2. Jesus said this. He made a harsh statement. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I'm going to take it away. And in verse 6, he describes what that is. And we're going to go there in a minute. Being taken away, he says, those branches are going to be burned in the fire. So there's two choices. You are either not bearing fruit and you'll be taken away, or you do bear fruit and you are going to be pruned. Two options, taken away or pruned. Now, I want to say something really important here because there's teaching out there in Christianity that says when you come to Jesus, your problems will be less and your life will be easier. Look at Melody. No. Okay. No. In my opinion, it gets exponentially more difficult day by day. You know, and, and that is biblical. Because here's the deal. If you are ineffective for the kingdom of God, if you're not truly bearing fruit, you're going to be taken away. Because you're not really in him. But if you are bearing fruit, if Christ has saved you, and he is trying to work in your life, then there's one other option. You're going to be pruned. Notice there's no neutral zone. Notice there's like no place that a branch can just hang out. I'm just a branch hanging out on the vine. I'm just enjoying the sun, getting fed over here. I'm going to put off a few grapes. Notice that that doesn't exist. Are you with me? You're either taken away or you're what? pruned so if you are sitting in this sanctuary tonight and you're saying Shelly you would not believe what I am going through right now you would not believe how I feel pressed to the absolute limit you would not believe the trials in my life right now I would say to you I believe it you're probably being pruned and it does not mean that God does not love you in fact it means you're a branch that is going to make it. You with me? Don't let the enemy steal your joy because of your trial. You are being pruned. Now, before I get into the specifics of what it means to prune a grapevine, which I have studied greatly, I've watched more YouTube videos on how to prune a grapevine than anybody ever wants to see, okay? But here's the thing, because I believe when you talk about something, you should know what you're saying. But... As far as being taken away, he who bears no fruit will be taken away. I, I pray that the Holy Spirit will make this convicting because it's a fact that some people have not come to Christ yet. And if we haven't come to Christ, we need to come to him. Look at this. When Jesus saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to, him, said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We're Jewish by blood. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones children for Abraham. 
But the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Now watch this. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, exactly what were said about the branches that don't bear fruit. Jesus looked at people who felt they were okay and said, if you don't bear fruit in line with repentance, you are not okay. And if you want to come to me, and I'm going to put this in modern terms, Jesus says, and if you want to come to me and say, but we attend church every Sunday and even 75% of Wednesday nights. But, But we read our daily bread every single morning. But we say grace before we have dinner. But I vote a certain way. But I call myself a Christian. This is what Jesus said. Essentially, I don't care what you do about all that in that sense, and I don't care what you label yourself. If you don't bear fruit that lines up with the repentant heart, you are lost. And God doesn't need you because you are of no value You are not going to promote righteousness. You can't end up in the kingdom of righteousness. You would spoil heaven if you were there because you live for yourself, not for God's plan. Are you with me? He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I looked it up in the Greek, and what that means is bear fruit that is congruent to repentance. And I was so happy because there's a math term. Does anybody remember from geometry what congruent means? If two triangles are congruent, Laura, what are they? The angles are exactly the same and the length of the sides are exactly the same. You can't have a tiny triangle and a bigger one and say that they're congruent. A square is not congruent with a circle, okay? Shapes of the exact same size that you can overlay on one another and it is the exact mirror image, that's congruent. Think of it this way, like railroad tracks. You know how the rails of a railroad track are parallel to one another? The Greek means this. You bear fruit that lines up parallel to what repentance is. Or you are kidding yourself. And God doesn't need to have you in this kingdom just because you attend church. He could raise up from stones. He could make from anything people whose hearts aren't right. The miracle of his grace is when a person turns to him and says, save me, and I mean it, God. You with me? Now, here's what I mean. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If you repent and say to God, God, today I repent of my stinking selfishness, then you ought to start to see parts of your life become what? Less selfish. Will you be a perfect person? No. But like railroad tracks parallel to one another, if you confess repentance of selfishness, then your life better start turning a little less selfish. If you confess lust to God, then you're going to stop doing the things that cause you to fall. Are you with me? You won't be perfect. We are still human beings. We are still sinners. But God, Jesus would not say to bear fruit in keeping with repentance if it were not what? Possible. So Jesus is looking at people and saying, your church attendance, you're giving in the offering, you're praying with your family, you're reading your devotions, all that. That's, okay, whatever. But that doesn't mean that you are truly in the kingdom of God until you bear fruit that shows you have repented is everybody with me so here are the two options and i want to be very strong on that because if i don't preach the gospel of jesus christ god's going to hold me accountable and let there not be a person who walks out of the sanctuary tonight including myself that doesn't clearly understand if we don't bear fruit in keeping with repentance there's a problem there are only two options you're either going to not bear fruit and be taken away or you will bear fruit and you'll be pruned no neutral ground Pruning. Look at those beautiful hand pruners. Look at the, ooh, I that one at the top right, you know, you just look at that metal going through that soft wood, clipping that baby off. Okay, here's the deal with grapevines. 
you really have to train them like little kids being potty trained. It's, it's really wild. You get on YouTube and watch this. You have to train them. You, you plant a grapevine, and uh, they don't even start yielding fruit to the fourth year. But what you do in the first years is you watch the stems come up, and, and every year you have to trim off the stems that shouldn't be there till you have one or two main stems, and you choose what kind of vine you want to have, and then it puts out two arms, and then the next year you've got to trim off the uh, branches from those arms. And basically what happens is vines will go utterly wild. They'll put off so many branches that there's not enough energy and sustenance for the, for the grapes to be good unless a ton of the branches are pruned so that the energy can be directed toward the right clusters to make the clusters that do survive very healthy. You with me? And so one of the, I, I watched a, a, a very famous winemaker on YouTube say, look, the number one important thing to have good grapes and good wine is this. You prune. That's it. He said the success of grapes depends on pruning. Now, translation, what that means is the success of grapes depends on cutting a whole bunch of the branches all the time. God, what did you mean by everyone that bears fruit will be pruned? Here's what he meant. He's looking down at you, and he knows where your energy is being wasted. He knows where your affection and your love is being misdirected. And he doesn't want it to go there. It's got to go towards his righteous fruit. So anytime he looks at my life and sees something that is misdirected, that is going the wrong way, I'm investing my energy, my affection, my time, my love into something that I shouldn't, guess what he does? Snip. And if it's small enough, he'll use the hand pruners. If it's big enough, he'll get out the giant lops. If he needs to get out a saw, baby, he's going to get out a saw. Who's ever been under the saw? I've been under the saw. I'm happy I'm in the pruning, the hand pruners right now. Okay, so he'll do whatever it takes, but he's going to get rid of the stuff in your life that is draining and sapping your energy away from his kingdom and its fruit. Amen? Everybody loved to say, Amen. But here's the thing, God loves you if he's doing that. You can think of all kind of examples. In my life, there have been so many things. Sometimes God will take away your health for a time if your health is what you're investing your life into. We are a fitness-obsessed culture, amen? And God wants us to be healthy. It's good to take care of your body. It is his temple. But when you invest too much of your affection in how your body looks and how it's functioning more than God, guess what he might do? Do something to shake that up a bit. Amen? I got so successful in the career that I was in and kept moving up and moving up and moving up. And God wanted something different. And I was all set on, wow, look what I'm doing. Next thing I know, what happens? Get out of there, Shelly. You don't want to go? I'll kick you out. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll make you have to get out. I'll take it away from you. Whatever it is that is taking more of your affection and love than God and his kingdom, he is going to start chipping away at it, pruning you. And that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing, amen? Because we want the fruit to be what Jesus wants it to be. I want to bring up a point that... Um, I know I shared with the youth group one time, and Bria said that it just it meant so much she could imagine that it had a big impact on them. We don't have to turn there, but Second Peter chapter three and then Philippians chapter one verses ten and eleven. Listen to this: God's whole point for your life is to make you a more and more righteous person. That's His point. He He doesn't care if you die rich or poor. Are you with me? He doesn't care if you die with a fit body or an unfit body. He doesn't care about all that stuff so much as he cares about this. That you die fit for a home of righteousness. Now, I want to I make this point. Second Peter chapter 3, please read it through the 13 verses if you never have. says clearly this. When the Lord comes back and remakes the heaven and the earth, he is going to turn it into a home of righteousness. Now, right now, it's not a home of righteousness. Right now, it's a big old mess under a sin curse. You with me? One day, it's going to be a home of righteousness. 
one day I will have right relationships with everybody around me. Wouldn't that be a miracle? One day we will never offend each other. One day we will never annoy each other. We will never be jealous of each other. One day every relationship will be totally right. Amen? Okay. One day my body will be totally right. My pancreas will work. I won't be giving shots anymore. Body will be totally right. All cancer will be gone. You with me? No arthritis. No walkers. Nothing. No heart pills. Everything will be right. One day everything will be right. People will treat each other as they ought to treat each other. God will be honored as he ought to be honored. Now, let me ask you a question. If the place I'm headed is called a home of righteousness, why would I think I'd end up there if that is not the direction I'm going now? And that's what amazes me. People think, well, I just call on Jesus as my Savior and then forget about all that, and then someday when I die, I'll suddenly be in heaven. Why? Why would a person who doesn't enjoy or pursue righteousness be in a home of righteousness? Are you with me? You wouldn't even fit there. And so the whole point of this life is for us to be trained to become more and more the way we will be when we are perfected. Think of your life that way. Where you end up is a natural outcome of who you are. And if you are made new in Jesus Christ, then you should be heading for what? Righteousness. And if you, if you do not like righteousness, if you like yourself and you like what you want to do, then you'll end up in a place where God is not honored, where God is gone. Hell. Okay? So this is the point of life, to be pruned for righteousness. Now let's finish it up by looking at a few more things. Here's verse 6. Jesus said, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Look at verse 9. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus was faithful to his Father. Amen? And he is able to make you faithful to him. Okay? Now, I want you to go back up to verse 7. If you abide in me, if you as a Christian live in Jesus, and what else has to happen? What does it say? Look, if I could tell you the number of Christians who have ever come to me and said, Shelly, my life has fallen apart. Please help me. Why isn't God helping me? Why don't I sense God's presence? Why isn't he with me? And then you start to talk to them and you get to know them. And guess what you find out? They claim to love Jesus, but their Bible has a whole lot of dust on it. And they've definitely read more of the newspaper and seen more episodes of Seinfeld than they've ever read the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. This is hard stuff. This is what makes me a very popular preacher. But I'm going to tell you the truth. If you abide in Jesus and his word abides in you, it is high time that Christians be known for this book. Amen? I take my Bible into Wendy's. I sit there and I read because I love to read it. People look at me like I have three heads. I memorize the scripture. Every day I spend time memorizing the scripture. Why? Because it's my lifeline. Because God said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why doesn't God answer prayer? Probably because our prayers are so not aligned with what he wants because we're not abiding in him and his word isn't abiding in us. We're so out of sync and we're praying for stuff we don't even know what we should be praying for. Amen? 
It's time that we invest in the Word of God. If you looked at these verses, if you sat here tonight and you thought, wow, that's kind of cool, never saw that about the vineyard. Wow, Isaiah chapter 5, that is poetic, that is kind of convicting to me. Wow, that's why Jesus said he was... If that stuff excites you, then go home and get your Bible out and read that stuff again and memorize that stuff and ponder it and talk about it to people instead of talking about all the things that don't matter. Amen? I want to give you... um, When he said, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, there are just some moments in life where you can see God doing that. Do you ever get glimpses of, wow, God actually answered my prayer? (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? I have really been pressing into trying to abide in Christ and letting his word abide in me. And this whole thing about the vine, I have felt such a release, like reminded, Shelley, you don't live in your own strength. You just abide in Jesus. He's the vine. I never meant for you to be the vine. If you try to be the vine, it's epic failure. Depend and lean on Jesus. Talk to him all the time. See, abiding in Jesus means I'm so aware of his presence and I'm just talking to him always. Not necessarily literally out loud, although I do do that and have been known to be, you know, mistaken for an insane person. But you don't always have to say it out loud. You're meditating on him. You're thinking about him. He's like in your heart. Like, I'm telling you, if anybody would have been in my house, my husband's out of town on a trip, and after this morning's service, what the Holy Spirit did, if anyone would have been in my house when I was ironing these jeans this afternoon, I was down in my laundry room, and I cannot sing. And I wish I could remember the words. I made up a song. I made up a song. I wasn't even thinking I was making I realized after about 10 minutes that I was singing and that it was a song I had made up. And it was something like, I'm not even going to try to sing it for you because it very much disgusts you, but it was something like, you're so good, your good can't be measured. God, your goodness to me. And I, I realized I was dancing around my house singing and I didn't even know it. And I stopped and I'm like, I'm just talking about God and how good he is. I'm singing to him. And I didn't mean to have a worship service. Like, I just was walking down the steps and all of a sudden, like, kind of unconsciously, I just started singing, how good God is. And I'm bouncing around, I'm ironing, and I'm spilling water from the iron all over the thing. And I'm thinking, okay, this is what it means to abide in Jesus, to be thinking about him. I want to share with you an example of what God did since I, to close. Here's a living example of what God did in my life since I studied this verse and tried to consciously abide in Jesus and have his word abide in me. Um, a couple things as, as background. I haven't practiced telling this story, so let me make sure. You know, I have two nephews, Noah and Jake. Long story about my relationship with them, but their parents got divorced when they were very young, and I was kind of like a surrogate mother to them in a way for a while. And they're a lot older now than when they were four and two, and all that happened, and I was very, very close to them. But every year, I make it a point, and Shelley buys their school supplies. Lots of their school clothes, of course my mom does too, and book bags, shoes. You know, I made the big mistake of telling Noah, who's now 13 the other day, remember, Aunt Shelley buys your school shoes, don't worry, we're going to go to famous footwear, money is not an issue. <laughs> because we went in, and I, apparently those big, wide, clunky high tops are kind of in again. Have you ever seen those? Not just high tops, but like wide high tops, like this thing is three times as wide as his leg looks crazy but if you see him tell him it looks really good so we go and i say don't worry about it no angela get you whatever you want i always want you to have nice school shoes so he went and he picked these wild ridiculously big clunky high tops and he i always wanted these aunt shelly oh look at these and he's so proud and he's looking at himself walking around i said that's great no i love the shoes wonderful love the shoes but what are you going to do on gym day oh yeah can't run around in these for Jim. So he went over to the Reebok Zigs, the $80 Reebok Zigs, you know, and he's like, well, these are really cool. And he tried on the different sizes and he got the blue and orange ones. He was like, wow. He goes, so I'll get these and then I'll buy these for Jim Day. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, without, didn't, I didn't miss a beat. Oh, yeah, of course, we'll get those pairs. Oh my, I didn't know it was a buy one, get one half off, you know. Then we got up to the, the counter and he wanted socks. But anyway, make a long story short, I provide their stuff for going back to school. Love to do it. I just love them. And I want them to always know when they're in school, I want him to look down at those shoes and say, Shelly loves Jesus and Shelly loves me. That's why I do it. One year when I bought him the clothes he needed for school, I wrote him a letter with it. And I told him, 
Jesus provides Aunt Shelley with extra money to buy you clothes, and I want you to know that. And I share that with you because Jesus loves you. That's what I want them to know. I don't buy him clothes so he looks cool. I buy them so he knows Jesus loves him through me. He and Jake, I do that for. So I had told Jake, this is a really cool story. I had told Jake, I got Noah's shoes. I'm going to get you a new book bag, Jake. I know your book bag's old. I'm going to get you a new one. I'm going to get you a name brand one. He wanted an Adidas book bag. Okay, I'll get you an Adidas book bag. So I started looking to put and find an Adidas book bag for a couple days, but I had made a promise I'll get you an Adidas book bag. So the other day I actually had some time to myself, and I decided to go to my favorite restaurant for lunch, Wendy's. I'm a big spender. So I took my Bible and my A.W. Tozer book that I'm reading about the Holy Spirit, And I am just as happy as all get out. You know, I'm at Peace About You Sunday coming up. This is like Thursday or Friday, and I'm just driving up Route 30. And I usually go to the Irwin Wendy's. If you ever want to see me and talk Bible, uh, just about any time of the day, you could check in there, and I'll probably be there getting a biggie iced tea. So I usually go to the Irwin Wendy's, but for some reason, I just felt in my heart, this is true, I wanted to go up to Greensburg and go to the Hemfield Plaza Wendy's. So I went up there. Go to the Hemfield Plaza Wendy's, and I'm almost to the light where you turn to go into Home Depot and the Wendy's sitting right there. Almost to the light. And remember, I've been focusing on abiding in Jesus, talking to him, letting him speak to me, just in tune, forgetting selfishness, trying to dedicate time to him, just not have fear, rest in him. So I'm driving up there, and I'm almost to the light, and I I sense, didn't hear any audible voice, I sense this. No, go on up to the Westmoreland Mall, Wendy's. Why? That's a long drive. I'm hungry. It's 1230. I'm a diabetic. You know, i got a schedule to keep here. So, but I still turned into the Hemfield Plaza Wendy's, and when I did, it was packed. I couldn't even hardly find a parking place. So I drove around it once, and I said, Jesus, is this you speaking to me? Do you really not want me to go to this Wendy's? I just felt in my heart, don't go. I drove around a second time, and I drove out. And I looked at the clock. I'm like, this is crazy. It's now practically 1 o'clock. Drive on up to the mall. Go the whole way up to that Wendy's. I pull in. I take my Bible, this very Bible, my A.W. Tozer book. I sit at this table. People are looking at me like I'm a freak of nature. I'm reading. I'm talking to God, you know, in my heart. And I'm praying. And I'm wondering, hmm, this is good stuff, you know. And just as about, I'm, I'm about to go to leave, the custodian for Wendy's starts clean. Well, the whole time I was at Wendy's, I'm thinking, this is the cleanest Wendy's I've ever been at. Now, no ripping on anybody that works at the Irwin Wendy's, but it's just not real clean all the time. So anyway, I was like, wow, this Wendy's is incredible. And I was really rejoicing in it. I was looking at the flowers on the tables and thinking how wonderful. And I was getting ready to leave when I saw a woman with Down syndrome was their custodian. And she was cleaning. And I was thinking, wow, she's doing a wonderful job. Got out of my seat to leave, got my refill, and went to go out the door, and I saw that that same lady with Down syndrome was cleaning the outside door on the other side of where I went in. And this is just something simple, but it's abiding in Jesus, you know. I went to walk out the door, and the Holy Spirit told me immediately, I knew without question, he said, go compliment that lady. Like, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if she will be able to understand me, number one. How do I introduce myself? You know, people don't do that. Like, I'm a stranger. I'm just going to walk up to her. All this went through my head in about five seconds, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, Shelly, don't argue with me. Abide in me. Let my word abide in you. I turned an immediate right, and I, I can speak to thousands of people at once, but I'm a very shy person by nature. I made an immediate right. I walked right up to the lady. I got this close to her, and I said, hi. <laughs> she said, hi. <laughs> you know, I said, I just want to tell you that I've been to a lot of Wendy's, and this Wendy's is gorgeous, and you are doing a wonderful job. You helped make my day special today by the wonderful atmosphere here as I was reading and studying. I said, thank you so much. You know, I thought she was going to fall over. I don't know what God did with that. I didn't witness to her. I didn't tell her the gospel. I didn't feel that God was leading me to do that. I don't know what it did for her that day. But I walked away from there, and I literally went to my car. I threw my stuff down on on my car, and I was like, yes, this is so cool. I knew I obeyed. 
I knew I did the right thing. And then I was driving down Route 30. And here's what happened with Noah and Jake. My brother, who is Jake's father, said to Jake, I'm going to take you guys shopping for school in a couple days. And I said, Jake needs a book bag. And my brother Jan said, oh, I'll get you a book bag, Jake. And I thought, good. <laughs> you know, I've spent hundreds of dollars already on school supplies. I'm thinking, good, you get them as, you know, book bag. You buy them more stuff anyway. You know? So I'm, I'm like rejoicing in that. The Holy Spirit pricked my heart. And then Jake spoke up and said, he looked back at me. He goes, but Daddy, Aunt Shelley promised me. She was going to get me my book bag, and I thought, oh, there's 50 more bucks down the tubes. So I'm driving down from talking to this lady with Down syndrome, driving down the road, stopped at Ross's, stopped at Marshall's. Long story short, the Holy Spirit said, go buy Jake his book bag, because if you don't keep your promise to him, he's going to know that people who love Jesus don't keep their promise. They cop out if it costs them. Amen? Something simple and little, but God said, keep your word. To the littlest person, to the largest person, keep your word. I searched for a book bag. I left Marshall's thinking there was no Adidas bag. For some reason, God said, go back in. I found a rack I didn't know was there, and out I came with a $60 book bag for 30 bucks. <laughs> Adidas, okay? God let me back in. They seem like simple things. But I may have an eternal impact by keeping my word to people. Amen? I don't know what that lady was going through and why she needed to hear what I said, but I know the Holy Spirit led me in there. Abide in me, and your life will make an eternal difference. Amen? Bear the fruit you're supposed to bear. Put yourself on the back burner and live for God's glory.